from Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Newsmakers. I'm Ezra Wall in La Crosse, and I'm joined today by three representatives uh, who help members of the uh, of, of, of the community who experience disabilities to one degree or another. Uh, the people joining my conversation today are Jenny Felty, the president and CEO of Aptiv, Jenna Helminski-Juvi, who's a supervisor at ADRC of La Crosse County, and Sarah Eklund, the executive director of Independent Living Resources. And today we are talking about the various services available uh, to people who experience disabilities. What kind of disabilities, you might ask? Well, all kinds of disabilities. We'll talk about uh, exactly what constitutes a disability uh, and and how you can get connected with services that you or your loved ones uh, might need as our conversation goes on. But first, let me welcome everybody to the show today. Jenna, Jenny, and Sarah, welcome to Newsmakers. I appreciate you all being here. Um, let's start with uh, let's start with just a round robin of 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 what everybody does and and how your organizations uh, sort of show up in in our listening area. Jenny, let's start with you. Tell us about Aptiv. Uh, I, I read on the website that Aptiv and I are the same age. So uh, <laughs> other than that, though, uh, other than that, though, I'll let you uh, take it from there. Tell us about Aptiv. So, so do you want me to reveal the age? <laughs> oh, that's fine. We're 45 years old. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So Aptiv has been around for a while. Um, like a lot of similar organizations started at the time, Aptiv was um, an effort on behalf of families who were interested in bringing their loved ones home from the state institutions and providing services for them locally. And so many, many organizations throughout the country, um, similar to Aptiv, started around the same time. And um, obviously a lot has happened and changed over those 45 years. And so um, we've grown a lot. We have uh, services in the La Crosse area, but um, also going north into Buffalo and Trempolo counties, um, Jackson County. Uh, so basically uh, throughout uh, 13 counties in the south and uh, southwest region of Wisconsin, variety of services. Um, all geared toward helping children and adults with disabilities become more independent and work and live in their communities. Jenna Helminski-Juvie is here from the ADRC of La Crosse. And Jenna, we had one of your colleagues on oh, a couple of months ago talking about uh, about resources available to people as they reach retirement. ADRC does so much in in, in, uh, in La Crosse County and then your counterparts in other counties as well. Talk about services that are available through ADRC uh, that are relevant to people with disabilities. Absolutely. So Aging and Disability Resource Center, it's, it's in the name, right? We are a resource center first and foremost. So people come to us looking for information about a wide range of things, services, programs, resources available in the community, everything from home health care to transportation to housing options, public benefits like Medicare and Medicaid, Social Security type questions, you name it. And so one of the biggest services that we provide is just information and assistance for older adults. As you mentioned, my colleague had been on talking about those specific services, but then also adults with disabilities. And so physical disabilities, intellectual developmental disabilities. We also serve their families, friends, and caregivers. 
So information and assistance is our is our biggest service, but we also provide long-term care options counseling. And that's a big, big thing that we do. Um, one of our goals is to, our, our mission really is to provide adults with disabilities the resources they le- need to live with dignity, security, independence, and quality of life. And so we want to empower people to make informed choices by having accurate information, unbiased information about what's available to them, particularly about their options for long-term care. And we also want to streamline their access to those different services and supports in the community. So that means our staff have to be really well informed about what's out there, um, eligibility aspects when it comes to public benefits. Um, and really, they also need to be capable of identifying situations when people need more than just like a grab and go resource, right? So sometimes, and a lot of times people come to us, they can call, email, or walk in with a question about, hey, um, how do I hire for a home home uh, home care service like bathing? And do you have a list of, of providers for that? Or what about transportation options for me as a person with a disability? And we can give them that resource and, and then they go off and they, they pursue that on their own. And sometimes people need a little more support and that support we can provide through the options counseling process. Um, we also have disability uh, benefit specialists who provide counseling about all types of public and private benefits. And that's another really big, important service um, that we offer. So it's um, doing a benefits checkup, determining maybe what programs or benefits a person would be entitled to, counseling them so that they can they have accurate information about those benefit types and they can make the choices that will best meet their needs, uh, assisting with applications. Um, assisting with retaining benefits when there have been denials or terminations or overpayments, for instance, with social, social security. And so disability benefit counseling is another big, big service that we offer that's really important for people. Transportation for individuals who are 18 and older with a disability, uh, family caregiver support. That's another thing. Um, and I, I always I, I never want to neglect the caregivers and mentioning the services that we have to offer for them, connecting them to resources for respite, technology, peer support, wellness, future planning. Um, we do have funding available as well. And so just kind of gives you a snapshot of some of the things that the ADRC offers that might be a little bit more specifically geared for adults with disabilities and their families or their caregivers. Yeah, it, it helps people understand what's uh, what's available. An- another organization working in our communities uh, to help people with disabilities is Independent Living Resources. And Sarah Eklund is with us, the executive director of that organization. Sarah, tell us a little bit about Independent Living Resources and, and what you do. Yes, thank you. So Independent Living Resources is the area's local independent living center. We actually cover 13 counties in southwest Wisconsin. Our main office is in La Crosse, um, but we go as far north as Buffalo, uh, northern uh, Jackson, Trumpelow counties, and then all the way down to the Illinois border. Um, so we have a pretty large service region. We do have a um, we have a satellite office in Richland Center um, that just helps us serve those, those really southern counties. Um, some of our regions are two and a half hours away from our main office. Um, and as an independent living center, we provide services to folks with disabilities across the lifespan. Uh, to qualify for our services, you only need to self-identify as having a disability. There's no financial or functional screen as part of our process. 
um, we are designed to be low barrier as possible um, for folks receiving services. Um, as an independent living center, um, we're actually one of eight in the state of Wisconsin, um, and it's a it's a national program. Uh, we all offer the same core services, um, which include information and referral, um, advocacy, peer support, um, independent living skills training, which helps people learn any skill that helps them become more independent in their home, in the community, for employment. Um, the advocacy is both individual and systemic, and then also transitional services, and that could be both youth transition, so folks who are leaving high school and getting ready to go on to the next steps of life, um, and just needing some support around that, whatever that looks like, and also institutional transition. Um, so if individuals are in any sort of a long-term care facility and are coming back into the community, we help them with all of those necessary supports and steps to get reestablished. Um, that could certainly be someone who's in a nursing facility, which is very common, um, we also frequently work with folks who are coming out of the correction system as well and are needing some help kind of getting back on their feet with things. Um, in addition to those core services, there's a multitude of other things that we do as well. Um, there isn't much in the disability realm that we don't touch on, but we, um, we have an assistive technology loan and demonstration program um, that is free for anyone who would like to use that program. Uh, we have several hundred pieces of equipment that folks can try out, see if it works for them. Um, if it does, we'll help them figure out if there's any um, funding resources in the community. We don't sell any equipment ourselves. Um, we have a durable medical equipment um, loan program where the community donates um, gently used durable medical equipment, so often wheelchairs, walkers, those sorts of things, um, to the agency. We do some light cleaning on it, make sure it's in decent shape, and then we give that back out to the community, either for a loan or for someone to permanently keep. Um, and there's no cost to that program either. So if someone's interested, they can just give us a call and we'll see if we have um, what they're looking for. Um, we also, I had mentioned, we do quite a bit, excuse me, with peer support. Um, and one of those pieces for us is using certified peer specialists, um, which are individuals who um, have personal lived experience with mental health or substance use. Um, and one of the things we do in the lacrosse area is we run Brave Recovery Avenue, which is over on State Street. Um, and that is a recovery-focused drop-in center that's open to any adult in the community, um, age 18 and over, who's interested in finding out more about recovery or getting support in their recovery process. Um, we also have the benefit uh, specialists on board as well. We specifically have work incentive benefit specialists um, who help folks understand um, if they're looking to return to employment or increase employment, how that will affect benefits that they have. Uh, that tends to be a very important conversation for folks. Uh, what we often see is that people are most concerned about their health insurance. That tends to be the, the biggest concern that if they make too much, they may lose their health insurance, which helps them get the support they need to be able to work. So they wanna make well-informed decisions. Um, we also do, I mentioned the assistive technology loan program, but we also do assistive technology assessments. And we also do home modification and ADA physical accessibility assessments um, for both homes and communities as well. Um, we wanna make sure that um, places understand what true accessibility looks like for folks. And we, we like to get ideas out there for people in regards to what changes could you make, um, you know, in order to just increase the, both the visibility and the efficiency of, of any physical spaces that you utilize or, or have programming in. Um, so again, there's not much in the disability realm that we don't touch on. Um, we always say, um, if you have a disability question, give us a call. And if if we're not the folks you need to connect with, we'll get you connected with whoever happens to be in the community. Um, we're we're well connected with the ADRC of La Crosse County, and we make lots of referrals back and forth um, in regards to that. So, um, and then one unique thing about independent living resources as well is that 
we are actually by contract, um, our staff and our board of directors have to be people with personal lived experience with a disability. So 90% of our staff and about 70% of our board of directors are people who are living with a disability themselves. I want to follow up with you, uh, Sarah, and, and I want to uh, get to everybody with this question eventually, but starting starting with Sarah, um, what uh, as you look at society and how and how either uh, people with disabilities are treated or uh, referred to or the the ease or not ease the, with which they uh, have access to the resources that they need, what uh, what stands out the most as something that uh, that we need to do better to provide for people with disabilities? And I'm using that term very broadly, so you can interpret that uh, whether you want to focus more on people with physical disabilities or people with developmental disabilities or some other form, uh, uh, just uh, just however you want to reflect on that question. Um, I, I think that's a great question, and I think it's a um, obviously there there are many facets to that. Um, what I would say, um, the first thing that comes to mind is just the recognition that having a disability is just part of the human condition. Um, people with disabilities are not, you know, they're they're not other people. They're they're parts of our community. I myself am a person uh, living with a disability. Um, I'm also a certified peer specialist. Um, people with disabilities um, live their lives just as everyone does. Um, and I think sometimes um, historically in the disability community, folks with disabilities were taken care of in the sense of other people made their decisions for them in what they believed would be right for that individual. Um, and I think. There just needs to be really a paradigm shift in how folks think about people with disabilities and recognizing that everyone is the expert in their own lives and, and people need varying levels of support. Um, but I, I think that the first part is just that recognition that people with disabilities are community members. It's, it's not a, a separate group of folks. And when you start to think of it that way, you recognize that there's a lot of what I believe to be very unintentional barriers in our communities around accessing um, services and supports and just day-to-day -day pieces. The physical accessibility is definitely one of those um, one of those areas that there's a, a lot of work to be done on. Um, and some of it, I, I truly believe that um, you know community members and businesses want to do the right thing and want to increase that access. Um, and it you know it all just depends on the circumstances they're in. In the Lacrosse area, we have a beautiful downtown area that has a lot of really historic buildings. That some of them, it's almost impossible to make them physically accessible for folks with disabilities. Um, it's just not possible. Um, so just that increasing that awareness, but there are certainly many things that both the community and businesses can do that will increase their accessibility or their recognition that if people can't get into your spaces, how can they still receive their services? How can they still do those, um, take part in those activities? So um, I think that's just really, you know, a, a vital piece of it is just a paradigm shift in how folks think about people with disabilities that, you know, it is community members, um, it's same as, you know, um, losing my words here, but, um, you know, the, we just need to really shift our thinking with that. Um, and you'll find, you know, as an agency, we usually utilize what we call people first language, which is where it's always a person with a disability. Um, we don't say the term disabled or any of those things. Um, disabilities are one of the few conditions that that happens with where people turn people into a disability. Um, in, in, in mental health, that often happens. Um, You'll hear people being referred to as, um, for instance, like, you know, uh, someone is a schizophrenic. No, it's a person living, you know, with schizophrenia. So just that that shift in language makes such a difference for people. 
That's uh, Sarah Eklund from Independent Living Resources. Uh, Jenny Felty is also here from Aptive. Jenny, I want to pose that question to you as as you're working with uh, with with your clients and others throughout the community. What do you? What's something that stands out as as a way in which we need to do better uh, regarding offering services and resources to people who have disabilities? Thank you, Ezra. Um, so Aptive primarily serves people who have uh, cognitive or developmental disability, intellectual disability. And um, we serve people from age, the age of four up until, you know, they're, I think the oldest person is uh, in their late seventies right now. So across the lifespan and um, certainly opportunities have changed. I mean, I've been um, doing this work for almost 30 years and, and things, um, definitely look different today than they did uh, 30 years ago. But I think the biggest thing really, and the thing that that we're trying to do more and more is just make sure that, that the people that we support have opportunities to be a part of regular community activities all the time. Because um, historically, services and activities for people who have a label of a developmental or cognitive disability have been separate. You know, we uh, provided separate services. Kids were educated separately. Um, and so what we're really trying to do um, in school and in our services is make sure that we are providing the support that we need to in the community so that people can participate regularly. And I think on the community side of things, um, just people being open and welcoming and paying attention to what sort of accessibility um, somebody might need. It might not always be uh, physical accessibility that somebody needs. They might need um, some sensory accommodations. You know, if an environment's um, too chaotic or too loud, or, you know, could it be um, changed in a way that would be more accommodating for somebody who might be overwhelmed uh, because of the, the sensory environment? And, um, you know, over and over again, I see people with disabilities who when given the opportunity to participate and do thing, participate in and do things that um, their family members or loved ones never thought was possible for them, they continually rise to the occasion and um, do a fabulous job, whether that be through work, um, volunteering somewhere, um, just a variety, living on their own in the community, in their own place, um, uh, just a lot of capable people who just need an opportunity to show their abilities. Jenna Helminski-Juvie is here from the ADRC in La Crosse as well. Same question to you, Jenna. What do we need to do better? As I'm listening to, to Sarah, for instance, one expression came to mind that, you know, people with disabilities constitute the nation's largest minority group that any one of us can join at any time. And that's always something that I personally have kept in mind. And I think that's one of those awareness pieces that, you know, none of us, you know, this is just life, right? This is a part of the human condition, like Sarah said. And I think, um, and I think the ADRC has a role in helping people to to understand that and to see that, um, particularly family members, caregivers. 
And one of the things I've been thinking about too, you know, as Jenny was talking about opportunities, I, I agree with that as well as just creating more opportunities for people to be in the community. And this has been a push for years, right? This isn't anything new, but we still have work to do there. And the ADRC in particular, we've done a little bit of soul searching over the last few years or so. And we've recognized that we've done a lot of work in the aging field and we may not have done as much work in the disability field per se. So what can we do to support people? Um, and one of the things that comes to mind that I think we hear a lot of social opportunities. Um, and so what, what opportunities can cr we create for people to engage with others socially and also to engage with others like them? And um, for instance, one thing that um, we had tried recently, actually in a collaboration with Aptive and um, Western Technical College was a neurodiverse speed meeting event. And this was in response to families and um, individuals, particularly those youth in transition. So like that 17 to 21 age group or so where they're just becoming adults, they're leaving high school, they're leaving behind their school supports. Um, and, you know, the big question is often what is out there? And we have so many resources in the community, especially in lacrosse. We have we are so lucky. Um, but yet maybe there's there's still this feeling that there's not enough socially. We got a lot of sports programs, exercise programs, work related things, day services. Um, but what about just how do you meet people? How do you make friends? And some folks with developmental disabilities, I think about, you know, neurodiverse individuals in general just might have a little trouble um, with those relationships and knowing how to start a relationship, what to do once you are with a friend and you're out and about and, you know, just that follow through piece. And so um, not neglecting that, that, that that's not always easy for everyone. And so, um, and so this neurodiverse speed meeting event that we that we hosted in March, I think it was, um, was kind of the, a very first try. And it was speed meeting um, because it was meant to, you know, create friendships, but also dating opportunities if that's what people wanted. And um, and it went pretty well. We had seven people attend um, folks, young folk between the ages of 18 and, and 30. And um, and they we had good feedback. They had fun and it was meaningful for them and they were interested in doing something like that again. But some of the feedback that we got through that too was that there was still this, this uncertainty, okay, so here's this opportunity created for us, but what could we do to provide more education about the relationships building and what maybe is, if, you, if you're engaging with someone in a way that doesn't feel safe, for instance, how do you handle that? If you want to date someone, how do you handle that? I mean, it's just... And so we're going to be thinking around for the next time, kind of doing some brainstorming about, okay, how can we offer this event, but also provide some of the supports that might go along with that so that people feel like they have um, have the information they need to be able to continue forward. We're not just like, okay, now the event's over, you're friends, okay, have fun. <laughs>
<laughs> and not knowing what to do with that and feeling feeling uh, a little bit of a loss there. But that so that's that's one thing that over the last few years, at least since I've been here, I'm new to lacrosse. We've heard a lot of from families is just what socially what is out there for people to do and in, in particular to um, meet others um, who are like them. Other, for instance, neurodiverse individuals. So, Ezra, can I just provide a follow up yes, comment to that? Course. So. So similarly, uh, many of the people that we support um, feel isolated and lonely and uh, want friends like Jenna's describing and and also want to have uh, more intimate relationships, whatever that looks like for them, whatever that means. Um, and uh, so one of the things that we've been focusing on, and um, we actually have a, a staff who went to some training um, in uh, providing, uh, well, so she became uh, an educator for sexuality and, and relationships for people with um, intellectual and developmental disabilities, because this is an area that people are very, very interested in, that people need help in sorting out. And so we're just, we're starting this journey. Um, we're starting to build a program, but it was in response to what Jenna's describing that um, people need some additional help and support in that area. Yeah, it's and it it goes right along with what one of you was saying earlier about about uh, people with disabilities just being people and they're part of our community and they're not part of some other group or some separate group and so like you think of all of the things that all of us are interested in. Uh, oh my goodness, are people with disabilities interested in that? Well, of course they are. It just makes perfect sense. So thank you very much for bringing that up. This is, of course, Newsmakers. You're listening to it on Wisconsin Public Radio. Let me tell you how you can get in touch with our program uh, if, if you'd like to. Uh, our, our inbox is open all week long, so just send me an email. Newsmakers at WPR.org. That's newsmakers at WPR.org. Our program continues in just a moment. This is Newsmakers from Wisconsin Public Radio. Newsmakers. I'm Ezra Wall in our studios on the campus of UW-La Crosse. Thank you very much for joining us. We're talking about how our community serves people with disabilities and uh, in some cases how our community doesn't serve people with disabilities. We're visiting with uh, Sarah Eklund, Jenny Felty, and Jenna helminski juby today and uh, and I want to go um, before we go around and, and give everybody the opportunity to give some contact information, uh, let's talk about a couple of uh, of, of of terms. One, uh, both of which I think are have been in growing usage over uh, the last several years. Uh, one of them has come up in this conversation, and and you you've referenced people uh, with neurodiversity, and I think that's a term that a few years ago people were less familiar with, but. Let's just define it a, a little bit, and and uh, and uh, Jenna, you mentioned it most recently. So so talk about uh, people with neurodiversity, and what do you mean when 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 you say that? Um, neurodiversity is just kind of what you know, acknowledging that people 
our brains, we think differently, we learn differently, we communicate differently. And there's a wide range, there's a lot of diversity in that, right, and how our brains function. And so that to me is kind of that the, the core of the definition of neurodiversity. And then, you know, so people with the developmental disability, I mean, you're going to fall in that group, right? And if you have autism, you're going to fall in that group. Even so, say, you know, people with certain mental health conditions or traumatic brain injuries, uh, intellectual disabilities, um, because the way that you think and you learn and communicate is, is just different. That uh, that makes sense. So it's not necessarily like um, um, obviously some very unfortunate uh, language has been used to describe people with disabilities or whatever, and we've learned to do better and better with that. But uh, but I think some people hear new words and they go, oh, that's a replacement for this word or that's a replacement for this term or that. But you really are talking about people across across a whole spectrum of experiences, uh, some of which you may not even notice when you're talking to them at all, and some of which may be uh, quite a bit more obvious. That's correct. Yes. Okay, good. I, uh, thank you for the uh, clarification. Another term I wanted to talk about that uh, I think the I, I think the, uh, the the definition sort of is self apparent. And the first time I heard this term, I was like, oh, of course. Uh, but that is uh, is ableism, and it's something that a lot of people with uh, various kinds of disabilities experience. It's not a term that I heard until the last, uh, you know, five or six years, uh, maybe a little bit longer ago than that. Uh, but it's a term that is has has grown in use, and I think has helped raise awareness for the idea that uh, that you can be uh, predisposed to having uh, to having uh, uh, um, discriminatory feelings toward people with disabilities, just like you can, uh, based on someone's uh, gender or race or or something like that. I, I want to talk about ableism more deeply uh, because there are a lot of ways uh, that that people can recognize it, and and a lot of our own behaviors might well fall into that category, even if those behaviors are somewhat well-intentioned. Uh, Sarah, I haven't I haven't talked to you in just a minute, so let's start with you on this question about ableism. How how do people recognize ableism when they when they see it or hear it? Uh, yeah. So frequently um, with ableism, um, people frequent you don't know what you don't, and so a lot of people are uh, raised with a certain worldview where you see the world according to the lens of someone who has a lot of the same abilities that you. Do. And so until I'm thinking about things like physical accessibility into buildings, those sorts of things, um, people don't, if you've never had the experience of using a mobility device, you may never stop and think that one step could literally keep somebody from accessing the entire building, the entire space, that sort of thing. So um, frequently with um, with the tendency to for people to have some of those, those ableist ideas, um, one of the ways to really bring awareness to it is the inclusion of people with disabilities into, into the community as a whole to help raise that awareness. Because people who are experiencing it are the folks who are really gonna be able to recognize it and put voice to the fact as to how something is discriminatory towards them or is putting, we always use the term barriers. Things are putting up barriers for folks, often unintentionally. Um, but I think part of that is really including folks who have that experience. Um, 
people who have experienced it are the experts in that, you know, their own experience. Um, and to for us to stand, for anyone to stand on the outside and, and try to, this must be how folks feel, that that's not the way the world works. We need people who are experiencing that to come in. So I think that that's a huge part of getting past some of that ableism is putting words to it and having folks with those experiences come forward and say, this is why, this is why this is putting up barriers for me. And here's how we can improve it. We also shouldn't assume that we know how to improve a situation. We need the folks who are experiencing that to give us that feedback what would make the, the most sense and be the most effective for them. Well, what about, um, uh, are, are there things that uh, that people say often or do often? Are there examples of, of behavior or uh, behavior or discussion or whatever that is, that is ableist that people might not think of? Like, for example, uh, when we were starting this conversation, um, you... Uh, uh, one of you talked about the importance of using people first language, which is something that a, as a journalist, I've, I've been sort of coached on over the years, but which before I was a journalist, I didn't often think about. And and so I might have said a disabled person rather than talking about a person with a disability or a person who lives with a disability or something like that. Are there examples of things that we do or say that we might not even be thinking of that are that are ableist? Well, and I would say that I, I think that's always kind of an example that I give right off of the top because most people have some experience with that in that a lot of times uh, the the ex people are identified as their disability. Um, so that's where that language becomes a piece of that in that um, in other medical conditions, we don't we don't do that with folks. Right. It's it's separate. Um, you know, so the, the challenge then is that just to it's a couple extra words, but you're taking away the fact that that person is not their disability, their person living with that experience, just as they would be with any other condition that they might experience. And so we see that quite a bit um, with, with people with disabilities who are, you know, who are reduced down to just being a disability. They're, that person is not seen, and that's where the person first language comes in. I'm a person first who happens to be living um, with a disability. So I think that's one of the, off the top of my head, that's one of the bigger examples that we frequently see is just in language. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, disability in the workplace. I, I know that um, there are people from across the the spectrum of of folks who live with disabilities who find very meaningful careers. Uh, and yet, when you're in the middle of hi a hiring process and encounter uh, someone who has a disability, I know a lot of people bring up extra questions. Can they? can they really do the job that I'm trying to hire for? And they have those concerns. And, and so I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about what, what kinds of things uh, people who have disabilities encounter when they go through the, what, what the rest of us might think of as the simple process of trying to find a job. Jenna, what about, uh, what about uh, job searches for people with disabilities? Wow, that's really, this is an interesting topic. Um, and it's something that I've been thinking about recently too. I'll be attending, um, there's a lunch and learn that's sponsored by the Greater La Crosse Area Diversity Council um, about ableism in the workplace. And so I think there's a lot of learning that I have yet to do in this area. Um, but one of the things that comes to mind as far as you ask about searching for jobs, I mean, just knowing that, how can I put this? 
we are so driven by the dollar and by productivity. And so when you're looking for a job and you're thinking about realistically, not just what you can do and what you can offer in terms of your skills and if you're a match for that job, but what are the employer's expectations going to be of you? And thinking about not just like your your ability to do the job, but also the work schedule for the day. Tools, are you going to have the the equipment that you need or the workspace that you need to be able to do the job maybe with accommodations is there going to be some workplace flexibility there and so i think i think this creates a lot of anxiety for people from what i've heard when i've had conversations um with folks and 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 also this sense of like well i'm not even gonna apply because I, I already have this feeling. I just know that this isn't going to work for me for whatever reason. And I think it's because because this is just our culture, right? This is just it's obvious. It's and it's been this way for years. And we don't, you know, we're so driven by the dollar and 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 we're so keen on productivity that we're not really we're not really willing to even think about, okay, this is the way we're doing something now, but there might be another way to do it that will have the very same outcome and maybe not even a loss of productivity. Maybe there will be some gains in that. We just, we just are so used to doing it and we've only seen something done this one way for so long that we can't even imagine or aren't even willing to consider there might be other options. Jenny, what about Aptive? How how does Aptive uh, work in the? You work in a whole bunch of counties. Uh, how do you how do you support uh, how do you support employment for the people that you serve? Yeah, so we actually uh, um, employment community based employment services is one of our biggest service areas. We support on an annual basis probably around seven hundred individuals to um, get and maintain employment throughout these. Uh, 13 counties in Southern and Southwest Wisconsin. And so um, people are employed in, you know, as many different career opportunities um, as you can think of. And, um, you know, this includes people who might have had a work-related injury and um, are looking at a different career. Uh, it also includes uh, people with cognitive or developmental disabilities who need some additional supports on the job, similar to what Jenna was describing. And, um, you know, so a whole variety of things. And some of the, I can tell you that right now, given the workforce issues, um, employment, uh, employers are looking for other, um, uh, I guess, workforce solutions. And so they are thankfully looking more at individuals with disabilities. Um, and typically once people, you know, get trained on the job duties and responsibilities, they really perform the job similarly to any other employee within the workplace. And so I think even some employers who have some initial hesitation or concerns, they find that really um, the people, you know, that they're employing with disabilities aren't any different than their other employees, uh, vast majority anyway. Again, there are some individuals who require some, ad some additional uh, accommodations and some additional support, but literally, you know, most of the employers in the town of Wisconsin are likely employing people with disabilities, um, which, you know, is a change over the last decade or so and really exciting to see those opportunities. 
Indeed so. Sarah, what about um, when people encounter uh, some sort of, well, if they're concerned that they might be experiencing some sort of discrimination in a hiring process, or if, if uh, there uh, is an, you know, an accommodation issue or uh, an accessibility issue in, in a workplace, what recourse do people have? Where should they start? So I think there, there's a few different ways um, to go about things. I think first and foremost, um, people with disabilities just need to understand what their rights are and what protections are um, for people with disabilities um, in the workplace. And a lot of it comes down to the concept of reasonable accommodation. Um, you know, we, we get questions like that quite a bit of, you know, are folks with disabilities able to do certain jobs? And it's really about looking at what are the, what are the core functions? What are the essential functions of a particular job? And everything around that can be accommodated if it's not one of those, you know, essential functions. Um, or the essential functions can be supported, you know, with a reasonable accommodation. So, um, and it, um, you know, it it tends to be um, conversation is an important part of that. Uh, and oftentimes for folks, it's when they're going through the employment process. We have a lot of conversations with people in regards to when do you disclose disability? How do you talk about that? Um, you're not required to disclose that, you know, right away in the employment process or in the application process. Um, you know, and, and how do you do that? How do you have that conversation? And it can be more challenging for folks who have a visible disability because that that goes with them to their interview, right? Um, it's not something that they have a choice of disclosure, disclosing. It's there from the beginning. And so, how do you talk about that with an employer? How do you how do you address that? And making sure people know their resources as well. There's some great resources in our communities that helps people understand um, more in depth what are your rights and responsibilities in regards to um, in regards to employment. So things like the Americans with Disabilities Act. For our region, um, there is a great center in um, Chicago. It's actually called the Great Lakes ADA Center. Um, and they spend all of their days answering questions relevant to ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act type questions. So a lot of folks, um, you know, we'll, we'll give them a call and just have some of that conversation. Um, but again, so much of it is around planning ahead of time and kind of having that conversation because if the question does come up, it's not supposed to come up in the interview process. But if the question does come up ultimately, how do you address that um, with the employer? Um, and we, again, independent living resources, 90% of our staff are people living with disabilities. Um, we are a very effective, um, very productive organization. And um, our staff with disabilities, there's a variety of accommodations around that and all of the great things are still happening. And so I think what we need to recognize is that truly everybody, whether you have a disability or not, everybody does things in employment different. Um, it's just looking at what kind of supports or what might need to be changed a little bit in order to accommodate that. Um, and we also, um, you know, for our resources, um, we also have conversations with employers, uh, with folks who are looking to hire people with disabilities, um, not just folks with disabilities themselves. Our information and referral services are open to anyone in the community. Um, and so if we're not someone who can answer your question, we'll help you find those resources as well. So if employers are wondering, hey, I, I'd like to consider this, but I'm just not even sure like what this looks like. We're happy to get you connected with resources to answer those questions for you. Jenna, Sarah mentioned the uh, the idea of reasonable accommodation, uh, which, uh, which is uh, the terminology uh, used to, to uh, talk about what, what level of uh, assistance might need to be made available to people who have disabilities in the workplace. Um, I want to ask, like, 
that that term reasonable seems like a lot of people might want to take advantage and say, well, that what they're asking for is not reasonable and maybe cover themselves that way. Uh, but but uh, the reality is, depending on what kind of an organization you're talking about, that that word can mean different things. Um, so, like, does does the term reasonable in reasonable accommodations shift depending on what kind of industry you're in or, or how big the workplace is or uh, or any of those types of things? You know, I'm going to have to defer back a little bit to Sarah on this, but I believe it does. I mean, it, it's based on the type of the job, type of job, you know, what's required for it. Um, and so I think it does shift. And maybe there is a little bit of room there for uh, an employer to, you know, use their discretion and say, this isn't reasonable for me. But I also think that comes back to, you know, kind of advocating for yourself and then also helping employers understand um you know, their options and, and what supports are available for a person and what could reasonably be done. Sarah, what about that reasonable accommodation uh, piece? So I would say that reasonable accommodation can depend on the, the employer themselves. Um, there are some guidelines that are utilized around that, but there's not a list of like hard and fast rules in regards to this is definitely a reasonable accommodation. Um, for instance, depending on the, the cost of an accommodation, um, for a small employer that has very limited income, um, you know, an accommodation may become unreasonable for them much sooner than it would for a much larger corporation that has many more financial resources in order to accommodate some of that. So that is part of that process. In addition, it really reasonable accommodation should be again that conversation between an employer, a potential employee, and the employer. Um, there are many ways to do a reasonable accommodation. And some things, you know, um, if, if an individual uses a mobility device, it might be there has to be a ramp into the workplace. Like there's there's really no way around um, unless you were to like install a lift or something. Um, other pieces, there, there can definitely be um, more leeway and more collaborative work to figure out how can we make this work. Um, and again, it's about having that conversation and working with the individual to, they're the experts in their own life and they're gonna know what's gonna work for them. Um, and that can save some of that that trial and error of trying to figure out what works for somebody if you just ask them, what has worked for you in the past? What could we potentially do here? Well, I know we've just scratched the surface today, um, but I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to get in touch with your various organizations in the event that they've heard something they need more information about or uh, if they just uh, like to ask more about how to uh, access uh, services or information that 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 uh, you all are, are used to providing in the community. Uh, so we'll go around, uh, starting with uh, Jenny Felty, uh, who's with Aptive. Jenny, how can people get in touch with Aptive? Yeah, so we have um, a treasure trove of information on our website, www.aptive.org. And uh, so lots of information can be found there, including contact information, uh, uh, various ways to connect with us. We're also on uh, Facebook, and uh, LinkedIn and so on the socials as well. All right, Jenny, thanks a lot for being on Newsmakers today. Thank you. Jenna Helminski-Juvi is a supervisor with ADRC in La Crosse County. ADRC stands for Aging and Disability Resource Center. Uh, Jenna, how can people uh, find ADRC online? Online, you'll visit lacrossecounty.org slash ADRC. 
And you can call us 608-785-5700, email adrc at lacrossecounty.org. And you're always welcome to visit. We love it when people just stop by the office. You're not required to meet with anyone. You can just come and check it out. We have resources on the wall in a nice space with a, with a smiling receptionist. So please visit us anytime. So since you invited people to come by, where is the office? Mm, yes, 304th Street North in La Crosse. So we're in the Human Services Building downtown. All right, Jenna, thanks a lot for being here today. Thank you. Sarah Eklund is the Executive Director of Independent Living Resources. Sarah, how can people get in touch with you? Yep. So um, first and foremost, people can definitely drop in our office at 4439 Mormon Cooley Road. We're open 830 to 430 Monday through Friday. Um, we also have our website, uh, www.ilresources.org. There is a contact us form on there. Um, so if you prefer to just um, send us an email, that works as well. Um, can also just give us a call, 608-787-1111. All right, Sarah, thank you very much for being here today. I appreciate it. Uh, this is Newsmakers from Wisconsin Public Radio. If you'd like to hear this program again, you can find it online. Our whole conversation is there, as well as all the rest of our shows from uh, previous weeks, if you want to check those out, too. That's, that's wpr.org slash newsmakers, wpr.org slash newsmakers. And if you want to get in touch with us, our email inbox is uh, always open, as I said earlier, newsmakers at wpr.org. That's newsmakers at WPR.org. My thanks today to Kate Spranger, who helps produce our show each week. Thanks a lot, Kate. I appreciate your help. Join us again next time. Oh, let me tell you, there are a couple of opportunities each week to catch newsmakers. We're on at 10 a.m. on Fridays on the Ideas Network 90.3. Then we repeat Friday night at 7 on NPR News & Music 88.9. And, of course, we're always online, as I said before, wpr.org slash newsmakers. Join us again next time for another Newsmakers right here on Wisconsin Public Radio.